I think I dismiss the children because they're gone, so sometimes I forget what I say unless it's in writing. I call it sometimers. I'm about to turn 40, so that must be why. And, um, but I will say, I noticed the three kids <clears throat> sitting up front. There's a few in the back, too. And they were doing so well during the worship, and I just celebrate that. It is great when you see children up here, up on the, in the front row, worshiping the Lord. Undis- they didn't seem distracted. I'm saying that because two of them were mine. No, I'm just kidding. Another one was here, but, you know, sometimes we, uh, we don't recognize, you know, children can worship, too. And sometimes they'll be fidgety and moving, and that's okay, you know, but the worship service is for them. The worship service is for all ages. I invite you to please turn to Romans 1 in your Bible, and we're going to look at a few verses there in a minute. And if you uh, can, also maybe put a pen there or a pencil or a piece of paper, and also find Romans 15, because we're going to look at both passages today. But before we really um, look at those passages... I want to thank Steve for preaching last weekend. Uh, It was just an awesome sermon. I mean, I'm not the only one saying that. I saw people on Faceless Books saying it as well in other venues, and that people have commented to me about uh, recognizing his the great sermon he gave. So I really appreciate it, Steve. And Steve, you know, most of the time when we have preachers fill in, uh, a lot of times they don't have to sing as much as well as well even if they do lead worship sometimes we say hey you're already preaching you know why don't you give your voice a break but steve led worship and preached and i really appreciate it um i listened to it uh after it was done and thankfully to our live stream and i appreciate it all also it was great to hear jerry weary share the celebration of the answered prayer by alexis still keeping alexis in prayer but it's awesome to celebrate answered prayer and to celebrate miracles right God is at work, and many times we get discouraged, and we ask, why is the Lord allowing something to happen? The Lord is in control. He knows the future. He's outside of time, and so either he predestines something to happen as far as actually making something happen, or either he allows something to happen, and we may not know when he allows and when he predestines. Um, Some people believe he predestines almost everything, And, and I'm sure of one thing for sure. He is in control. He is in control. Amen? And even when we recognize it, we think either he allowed it or he caused it to happen. It's in his hands. He is in control. He is still on his throne. Just because the news has gone crazy this past week and past year and pandemics going around and other things are going around, we still know we have the same Lord. And we need to be encouraged. So I hope that you are encouraged. Uh, we're going to be going to Romans 1, and, and, and as we get into Romans, it's, a, it's Paul's great treatise on theology. It's something, hopefully, that can encourage us. But I want to introduce the passage with something I read from Pastor Rick Sams. Some of you know of Rick Sams. He went to Malone with Bobby Murphy. I think he was a year or two young, uh, behind Bobby, but they were contemporaries of each other. And uh, Pastor Bobby seems to respect Rick, and Rick respects Pastor Bobby, and Uh, I met Rick Sams when he was pastor Alliance Friends. He served there for 42 years and retired. And he had a a news um, article in the Alliance Review every week. He still does, in the Alliance newspaper. And this came from the Alliance Review a few years ago. This is what he writes. He says, Whiteouts come in the form of blizzards where you cannot see a thing. Then there's the kind we used before computers. Whiteout dates to 1966, when an insurance company clerk named George Klusterhouse and a guy who waterproofed basements developed a correction fluid for typing mistakes. 
It was originally called Whiteout WO-1 Erasing Liquid. Everyone here has probably used Whiteout before, right? Everyone here has probably used Whiteout. He says, have you ever sent a text message that you regretted? Now you can electronically white it out by using Apple's app called Wiper Messenger. Don't you wish we had a whiteout for all your words and actions? We try to use whiteout when we say we've stretched the truth, but we've flat out lied, right? Isn't that kind of an attempt at whiteout? We call it spin when it's actually false reporting. Reinventing products is really the same old stuff in a bigger package and for a lot more money, right? Revisionist history is just bad research and recall. Revisionist history. Pardon my French is a cover-up for swearing. I've heard French, and what follows is not French. <laughs> Bless their heart is often used right after we've smeared someone. As if this makes it right by saying, bless their heart. Or as Mercedes and Abigail have learned to say, no offense, but. <laughs> Communication breakdown is often a cover for laziness or somebody not doing their job. Mistakes are too often sins. Don't you notice how we say that now? We say mistakes rather than sins, rather than repenting. Affairs are Adultery, but we say affairs. This is our attempt at whiteout. Issues are really problems, usually big and bad. But the Bible says there really are do overs and whiteouts. Listen to this Isaiah 118, the second half of the verse. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's the Holy Spirit's white out. You know, that's Jesus' blood covering our sins. Rick Sams ends his article by saying, what a Savior. What a white out. Now, why do I begin today's sermon with that? Because I'm beginning a sermon series on Romans. I'm going to be walking through Romans uh, through about October, probably mid-October. We'll finish Romans. We'll take a, a brief pause for Palm Sunday and, and Resurrection Sunday. Also, the end of February, Rusty Savage, who's our director of, of missions for Eastern Region, for Evangelical Friends, is going to be preaching here, but he's going to be preaching on Romans. In fact, when I emailed uh, Rusty about speaking at Bethel at some point to represent the missions arm of, of Evangelical friends, uh, I told him, I'm preaching through the book of Romans, would you like to take one of those texts? And he said, oh, I'm so glad to hear of churches doing verse-by-verse verse expository preaching. That's what it's called, preaching through books of the Bible. And Dan Hepner was the associate pastor of Winona Friends, and he took Rusty's place when Rusty became director of missions. And, and Dan Hepner said, Rusty took a couple years preaching through the book of Matthew, and I love preaching through books of the Bible. And so now we are beginning Romans. And if you stick with it, if you stick with it, I hope that you have a pretty good understanding, not a perfect understanding, a pretty good understanding of the book of Romans by the end of this sermon series. I pray and hope that God transforms your life as you study Romans. The Word of God, Isaiah 55 says, the Word of God does not come back void. It accomplishes His purpose. As the rain comes down and waters the earth, 
without returning back to the clouds void? Isn't it interesting? They knew the water cycle back then. And we always think they were dumb in 700 BC. They knew the water cycle. I think they were way smarter than we are, actually. The water accomplishes, the rain accomplishes its purpose, and the Word of God also accomplishes its purpose. So take the book of Romans seriously. Understand, for each of the sermons that I give, that hopefully God gives me on Romans, we could go way, way, way deeper. This is a rich, rich, rich book of the Bible. And, and that's true of the whole Bible, by the way. So we may revisit Romans a few years from now and actually go deeper. But today we're going to begin a sermon series on Romans. And I began with that whole whiteout illustration because Romans is Paul's great treatise on theology. Theology means the study of God. But Romans is really more Paul's great treatise on the theology of salvation. The theology of salvation. And the theology of salvation is called soteriology. Everybody say it. Say soteriology. Good job. Soteri, yeah. Soteriology is a study. Soteri has to do with salvation. The study of salvation. So as we study the book of Romans, we get to study how awesome our salvation is in Christ. When you go through the Bible, always notice that little, those little two words, in Christ. You see those words repeated all throughout the New Testament. Our salvation is in Christ. We are justified in Christ. That means we are declared righteous in Christ. We are regenerated because of Christ. That means God regenerates us, makes us new, makes us a new creation. When we are saved, you know, we are reconciled to God in Christ. Christ took the wrath of God in himself. That's called propitiation. You can look these words up sometime or text me and I'll send them to you. These are all deep words that have to do with our salvation in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our salvation. That's Ephesians 1. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit until we join God in heaven someday. Romans is all about our salvation and the theology of salvation. Do you ever think about your salvation? Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for answering. Good. You know, Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. I think the more that God restores to us that joy, the more we worship him, and hopefully the more we spread the gospel. There's been a lot of events going around the world, around the country, the world too, but the country this past week. And many times we forget where our hope is. Our hope's not in our president. Our hope is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, it's in Jesus Christ. And we see time and time and time again that we live in an age of lawlessness, in a day and age when people need the Lord, a day and age when people have lost a biblical worldview. This is a time for the church to shine. Do you realize that? It's a time for the church to shine. The fields are ripe unto harvest. We need to go and spread the gospel and be Jesus' ambassadors, Jesus' witnesses. What are you saved from? How are you saved? Somebody say sins. And we're saved by grace. Thank you, Gary. Are you saved by works? No. Can you earn your salvation? No. no. Thank you. You know, we find a lot of these answers in the book of Romans. And as we walk through it, we're going to hopefully be encouraged of our great salvation. Today, I want to introduce you to Paul's thesis in Romans and give a little bit of background. Here's my theme. Be gospel-centric. As Paul was gospel-centric. What does that mean? Be gospel-centered as the apostle Paul was centered on the gospel. Read with me Romans 1, 16 to 17. Uh, hopefully you've turned there or scrolled there on your smartphone. 
Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that it is the gospel. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's read that one more time. That's so cool. This, this is Paul's thesis. We're going to end the sermon with it too. I am not ashamed, Paul writes, of the gospel. Now we know Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. By AD 57, when this was likely written, he had already been stoned and left for dead. With rocks, not the 60s version of stoned. Um, he had already been stoned and left for dead. He had already been, you know, beaten. He's been already imprisoned. He was not ashamed of the gospel. And that's something we need to pray for. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. Salvation. Romans is going to teach us salvation is by the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You get that? Everyone. He says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Greek means non-Jews here. That's why we are here right now. Because the Apostle Paul took up God's mission to take the gospel to the, to the non-Jewish people of the world. To, you know, the gospel came through, through Jesus, who obviously was Jewish. You know, the gospel came from Israel, God's chosen people, you know, the Israelite people, the Jewish, the Jewish people going back to Abraham, the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, the covenant that God gives to Abraham, that he'll bless him, he'll multiply him, he'll bless all the world through Abraham. And you know what? We are blessed through Abraham right now through the gospel. Praise God that other people have not been ashamed of the gospel. Praise God that other people have taken the gospel to people. It's sad that many times we don't. I pray that as we walk through Romans, we get a new evangelism spirit, an evangelism attitude. We want to take the gospel to other people. Because most of the time we hide this treasure in our heart and we don't share it. Paul says in verse 17, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, if you um, heeded my instruction, turn to Romans 15.20. I told you to find both passages. I asked you to find both passages. Romans 15.20. This is, this is another just awesome passage. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Paul Wants it to be his ambition to preach the gospel on new soil. He wanted to go to the unreached people groups. You see that? He wants to take the gospel not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation. The fields are rich unto harvest. A study a few years ago showed that those in America born after 1980, 7% claim to be Christian. 7%. We have an awesome opportunity to take the gospel to our own country. It used to be we said people left the church. No, these people didn't grow up in the church. We have, we have you know, fertile soil, so to speak, not tarnished by, by church traditions that may or may not be biblical. We have an awesome opportunity to share the gospel. And we look upon our country, we look upon the world, we say, what's going on? They've forgotten God. They've forgotten Christ. Maybe they never knew him. The first and greatest hope is the gospel. You see here that Paul wanted to take it, take the gospel uh, to new territory. And I'm going to share later. You know, he wanted to use Rome. He's not writing from Rome. He's writing from Corinth. He wanted to use Rome as a staging point to take the gospel to Spain. 
Isn't that cool? To go from Jerusalem to Spain in that short amount of time. And he might have made it. We don't know. Um, I was at Asbury Theological Seminary in 2008, uh, 2009, and they called a new president. And the president, Dr. Tennant, was sharing with the professors. And he shared Romans 15.20 was his life verse. 15.20. Now, he had a missions background. He had served the Lord in India and other places. His daughter right now is serving three hours away from medical support to, to, to take the gospel to the unreached people group. And he said, he, he, you know, he said this passage, this is his mission. And I had a professor, Dr. Fred Long, and I was in a class on Corinth, 1 Corinthians. And the professor shared this with our class when, when the, the president, Dr. Tennant, said this was his life first. Dr. Long thought, that's interesting. You see, the apostle Paul likely wrote 1 Corinthians around A.D. 55. He likely wrote Romans around A.D. 57. Notice that. Paul wrote Romans after Corinthians. Paul planted or helped plant the church in Corinth. After he planted the church in Corinth, false apostles came and messed up the apostle Paul's foundation. That's what 2 Corinthians is about. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's trying to fix it. He's trying to correct their doctrine, their theology, their salvation. And the apostle Paul's saying here, I won't do that to somebody else. I don't want to go build on somebody else's foundation. I want to take the gospel to those who have never heard it. I pray that we at Bethel Friends and we in the United States of America can get this, that we can get this passion. We have a rich mission field just in our own family members and friends. I want to talk for a moment about the point person in time of the writing of Romans. Over a million people lived in Rome at the time of this writing. Over a million people. That's a big city now, let alone back then, right? I mean, think about how many people live in Youngstown. I read 65,000 or something. I thought our heyday might have been 135, but I think last night Nick Gavola said it was like maybe 165,000 people. And we're talking about a million people in Rome. That's a big city. The theme of Romans is the revelation of God's judging and saving, judging and saving righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the cross of Christ, God judges sin, and yet at the same time manifests his saving mercy. In the cross of Christ, we see judgment on sin and God's saving mercy, both. And Romans is all about that. The revelation of God's judging and saving righteousness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's think more about Rome. Any of you been to Rome? You've been to Rome, Joyce, and Debbie, and Bill's been to Rome, and Lisa, and Gary, and Chris. And I think that'd be pretty neat to go there, and it'd be neat to talk to one of you later and find out your experiences. The Colosseum in Rome is estimated to have seated more than 45,000 people for gladiatorial spectacles. Obviously, that's without social distancing and masks, but um, because they didn't think about that. <laughs> I just thought about that. 45,000 people for gladiatorial spectacles. And you think about that to, in that day and age, and we think about modern stadiums that might seat maybe a little more than that. I think someone said last night one of the stadiums seats maybe 65,000. We're talking 45,000 people. Daily life in Rome could be luxurious for the wealthy, but onerous for the others. Multiple aqueducts and a huge sewer system provided for the immense water requirements of Rome, including the many bathhouses, Many bathhouses, fountains, and latrines. 
Food had to be imported to satisfy the needs of this thriving metropolis. And the emperor often directly oversaw the vital grain supply. Luxury villas in Rome were the privileged possessions of the wealthiest families, and especially of the emperors. But most of the housing in ancient Rome consisted of insulae. That means that they were multi-story apartment buildings, often constructed above first-floor shops. So most people lived in multi-story apartment buildings above first-floor shops. Contemporary authors spoke of a, this is contemporary authors. These are authors from the first century. This is what they said. They spoke of a severely overcrowded, loud, and smelly city. A place that provided every virtue and vice known to mankind. The residents of Rome were mostly pagan. In that case, they worshipped many gods. Although a sizable Jewish population also existed. We know based off of first century literature that there was a sizable Jewish population. Uh, we do know that in AD 49, AD 49, this is referred to in the book of Acts, by the way, the emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome. He, he expelled the Jews, the Jews from Rome. But it is said that that was probably a limited measure. So there were still Jews in Rome. Obviously, the gospel was spreading to Rome in this, at this point. I want to just do a brief outline of the book of Romans. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, we see principles of spiritual leadership. That's just the first few verses. And then starting in verse 18 and going through verse 32, we see principles. We see God's wrath against sinful mankind. If you look at verses 18 through 32, we see a litany of sins that Paul lists. God's wrath against mankind. But then beginning in chapter 2, we see principles of divine judgment. In chapter 2, it's like the apostle Paul switches to the Jewish people. In chapter 1... Paul lists all these sins that were common in the Gentiles, that is the non-Jews. And then in chapter 2, it's like the Apostle Paul comes back and says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not like you're off the hook. You guys need a Savior too. My own countrymen, the Apostle Paul's countrymen, they need a Savior too. In chapter 3, we see the universality of sin. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we see uh, an exposition and defense of justification by faith alone. Justification, that means that we are saved by faith alone. We see that at the end of chapter 3, going into chapter 4. We are saved, made righteous, declared righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. In chapter 5, we see the idea of the security of salvation and the transference of Adam's sin. Just like Adam sinned, we all have sinned. And, And we also see the idea that in Jesus, we can all be saved. Jesus is the new Adam. In chapters 6 through 8, we see sanctification. That means about God making us more like him. Sanctification means that we grow in holiness and righteousness as Christians. We are called to make Jesus Lord of our life. In chapter 9, we see a deep, deep chapter about sovereign election. Sovereign, that means God is in control. And we see it related to Israel, and we'll deal with that when we get there, and also uh, dealing with us. In chapter 11, we see God's plan for Israel. Starting in chapter 12, chapters 1 through 11 of Romans are all deep, deep, deep theology. Starting in chapter 12, the apostle Paul switches to practical matters. He talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about practical godliness. In chapter 13, he talks about the believer's responsibility to human government. That's an interesting chapter right now, isn't it? 
In chapters 14 and 15 and 16, we see principles of Christian liberty. This is a really, really rich book. And I would encourage you this week to read through the book. It'll take you maybe 45 minutes or an hour. Read through it just by yourself or maybe listen to it. Go to BibleGateway.com. You can listen to it. Go through the book of Romans. The epistle to Romans, to the Romans, is by popular consent the greatest of Paul's writings. William Tyndall was an English reformer and translator. Do you know he was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English? Last night I said that I thought that he was the one that died and then later on the Catholic Church dug up his bones and burned them. That was somebody else. There was, there was a reformer who did die for translating the Bible and later on the Catholic Church declared him a heretic posthumously and actually dug up his bones and burned him. The, but Tyndall, William Tyndall, he went to the stake and he was burned at the stake for translating the Bible. This is what he said about Romans. He said, the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament is Romans. He went on to say the following in his prologue to Romans that he wrote in the 1534 edition of the English New Testament. This is what he said. He said, No man verily can read it too oft or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And the more groundly it is searched, the preciouser things are found in it. So great treasures of the spiritual things lieth hid therein. So great, I'm going to repeat that end. So great treasures of spiritual things lieth hid therein. There are great treasures in this work of God, Romans. Martin Luther wrote the following in his, uh, in his translation. He said, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as a daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. As I said, we see Paul's thesis in Romans 1, 16 to 17. I'm going to reread those verses. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then Romans 15, 20, he said, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. I pray that we can get a little bit, at least, of the Apostle Paul's passion for the gospel. That we want other people to know it. We want our family members and our friends to know it. It's been said, and I believe it's true. If we don't care that our family members and friends know Jesus, we really do not love them. We might say we love them, but maybe we don't love them as much as we think we do. Some of you think, oh, my family members, my friends, they're okay because they were baptized and made a profession of faith when they were 10 years old or 15 or 20. But listen, without a church commitment and a commitment to spiritual disciplines, logically, we, no one, has a relationship with Christ. You just don't have a relationship with Christ without a commitment to spiritual habits. So, are you gospel-centric as the Apostle Paul was gospel-centric? Are your sins whited out? Have you used God's whiteout on your sin? There's something called the Romans Road to Salvation. It's on little tracks, um, T-R-A-C-T-S, and little booklets. You can use passages in Romans to walk through the gospel. And let me read that to you. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
That's part one. Part two, the penalty for our sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. The penalty for our sin was paid by Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And lastly, if we repent of our sin, then confess and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we will be saved from our sins. Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We are going to walk through Romans. Uh, last night, we closed our service with a, a pretty neat worship song, and we led it through the Damascus Friends Worship Band. And I'm going to ask Ken to begin to pull that up. But as we begin, I'm going to read the words, and I'm going to ask you just to listen to this song. And then after, afterwards, I'll pray, and then the worship team can come up. This is called Break Every Chain. It's a short little worship song. I thank the worship band from Damascus Friends for letting us use their, their, their material. And this says, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. You realize that in the book of Romans, just like in everything else, we see there is power in the name of Jesus. There's power. And it repeats that several times to drive home that emphasis that there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. It says, all sufficient sacrifice so freely given, such a price bought our redemption. Heaven's gates swing wide. We believe there's power in the name of Jesus. There is an army rising up in the name of Jesus. There's an army rising up to break every chain, to break every chain. And it goes on with that. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. This song is just about two minutes. We'll let it play, and then I'll close in prayer. Go and play that. Thank you.
Praise God. You believe that? There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. To break every chain. And we are saved. We are set free. The Holy Spirit sets us free. And he who is free in Christ or she who is free in Christ is free indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power in the gospel. You are our Lord and Savior. And Lord God, certainly if there's someone here or maybe a few, and I'm sure there are, who do not know you. Or maybe they need to repent of not living for you. May today be the day of salvation. May today, may today be the, the day where they recognize the power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. May today be the day when they are saved. And they can tell you that by a simple prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I confess I have sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus. You died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior. I am committing my life to you. Lord God, help us all living for you. Help us all following you. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite the worship team for the closing song and closing prayer. As always, let me share. If you have questions about God and the spiritual life, I would love to talk to you. Definitely reach out to me and we'll talk. Please stand if you're able.